several years ago, British Humanist Association ran a campaign to promote atheism in the public square. Richard Dawkins, who is the, who at least who was the spokesperson for contemporary atheist thought, came up with a provocative campaign slogan. So this is what he said, this was the campaign slogan. There is probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. There is probably no God. Now, atheists were more furious than Christians when they saw this because they thought it was a very weak assertion. Why don't you say there is no God? But Richard Dawkins is somebody I respect. Uh, he has intellectual integrity. And he said, nobody can say there is no God. He came up with another slogan, which was, there is almost certainly not God, <laughs> no God. Then there is again that almost is a problem, right? Because he's intellectually honest. The existence of God is something that we cannot prove or disprove. That is the conundrum when we approach a question on the existence of God. It is like the phrase, have you heard the phrase, lasso the wind, lassoing the wind? You know, you're trying to rope wind, you know, that is not possible. What, what it means is that mind is a wrong instrument to comprehend God. Why? Because the moment you define God, the God, God becomes not God. God, by definition, is somebody who is beyond our comprehension. So the moment we understand God, the moment we fit God within our confines of a definition, God will become like some of us, which really means he is not God anymore. So there is an intellectual, there, there is that quandary when we approach a question like the proving the existence of God. It doesn't matter how much, there are so many proofs and you go into the internet, you can see proving and disproving God and it is almost all like the infinite regress of uh, back and forth exchange, which is more, you know, in, in the debate circle, we call it a ping pong principle, you know, ping pong, ping pong, and, you know, keep, 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 <laughs> keep, Pinging and bonging at the end, everybody gets tired. There is no solution to that, right? Because we are trying to lasso the wind. We are trying to, to use a wrong instrument to understand God because the belief in God is a self-evident truth. When you believe in God, it has to be a very subjective personal, deliberate conviction. So I cannot prove that 
why should all of you believe in God? Why should all the world, world believe in God? But I can tell you why I believe in God. So I'm going to tell you today, why do I believe in God? So this is my personal journey, the personal way of me making sense of the universe around me and the existence of God. Uh, and I call it 3 M theory. So this is from Matthew John. This is copyrighted and patented. I did not read it anywhere. This is the way I was trying to make sense of it. So I call it 3M theory because there are three M's I want you to remember. I'll just state it up front. One is meaning, second morality, and third mystery. Meaning, morality, and mystery. Meaning, morality, and mystery. These are the three reasons I believe there is a God. Okay, let me try to articulate whatever I can in the next few minutes. So when we take meaning, how many times have we asked the question, what is the meaning of life? If you have never asked this question in your life, there is something wrong with that because it's an it's a inherent quest for meaning is something that is haunting every human being. Very often we say, I want to do a meaningful job. I like my, I, I get a lot of money from my job or business, but I want to do something meaningful. Many people come to church and do volunteer work and charity because they want to do something meaningful. And very often we say, she is meant to be for me, right? Like, I am meant to be. We are meant to be. We are meant to be. Why do we say that? Because the moment we make statements about meaning, we are somehow, you know, it is, it is predicated on the assumption that there is a bigger story to which we all belong that's why we feel this is meaningful or I, I'm meant to be. What is the meaning? Because whether you believe in God or not, somehow deep within us, we know that we are part of something really bigger than us. And we are, unless we fit into that story, there is a primal storyteller has written the story because obviously the moment you believe there is a story, you are automatically, when the moment you are asking the meaning, you automatically saying that the life is not an accident. Like the science tend to believe. If, sci if life is an accident, accident by definition has no meaning. That's why we call it an accident. <laughs> Nobody plan an accident. There is no meaningful accident. Right? That's why it's called an accident. So the, every, whether you're an atheist or Hindu or Muslim, it doesn't matter. Human beings inherently know that there is a meaning. We, are, we have this insatiable uh, quest for meaning. And that will make sense only if there is a, there is a, God, there is a God. That's why a famous atheist Bertrand Russell even said, this is at least a quote attributed to, the, to him. This is what he said. Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. 
Now, I don't know exactly whether he said it or not, but whoever said that, it makes a lot of sense. Because unless you assume a cosmic narrative, a primal storyteller who created this life, there is, you should never ask about the meaning of life. We should live like animals, right? Like, you know, that's, that's what it should be. So then the question is, so what? Like, if you don't believe in God, there's no meaning. There are so many atheists, so many people uh, in there. They have no meaning in their life. We cannot find meaning without God. How much of this meaning has to be credited to God? Let me give you an analogy. A watch, a watch, a lady's watch, a beautiful Rolex is trying to find its meaning. So the watch is asking itself, what is the meaning of my existence? So the watch is trying to figure this out. Hmm, I have a dial, and the dial has a lot of numbers. Then I have a rotating hands. It looks like the meaning of my life or the purpose of my existence is to show time. I am meant to be a timepiece. The watch figured this out. So it figured, it figured its meaning out. Now, when we hear that, that's true, right? The purpose of the watch is to show time. So the watch could figure it out by itself. Now let me tell you, this watch was given to this lady as a Valentine's Day gift from her husband. Now this lady has multiple watches. This lady has a cell phone. She even rarely looks at the watch. There are clock towers around. You know, there is, a, you know, alarm clock in the microwave oven. She hardly looks at this, this watch to know time. What the, 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 the existence of that watch came about not to show time, it was because her husband thought when he looked at that Rolex watch, he thought the beauty and the elegance of this watch represented the beauty and the elegance of his wife. So it was an expression of his love. That's what the purpose of that watch, which means that there was a bigger purpose for which that watch existed. It was not just a showing time, which is functional meaning. It is the fun, but that was not the purpose of that watch at all, because there are so many other watches. That specific watch is meant to, meant to be on her hand all the time to remind her of her husband. That was the meaning of that watch. Now, that is something that watch can never ever figure it out because that meaning comes from the realm outside the realm of the watch. The watch cannot figure that out. So this is what is happening in our society. The science tells us the meaning of life and the science can be right to an extent because the science is a very good thing. The science helps us to figure out the functional meaning which really means the science can tell us how we exist, but it cannot tell us why we exist. Even now, the science has answered bigger questions. Here at JPL, we are sending 
you know, rocket to Mars and all that. Even now a little girl asks her daddy, 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 why are we here on earth for? We still don't have answer. With all our PhDs, we still cannot answer the question because she is not asking the functional meaning, she is asking the existential meaning. Without the existential meaning, we will commit suicide. Many people who commit suicide are not committing suicide because they have, a, they, they have serious other crises. There are a lot of people, especially in a city like Los Angeles where people have everything, people are committing suicide because after winning all this acclaim, money, cars, and, and awards, and they still don't find the existential meaning that attribute a certain kind of suffering they cannot tolerate because they don't realize that that meaning has to come from outside them. It doesn't matter how much they are trying to figure it out. They can still figure out the functional meaning, but not the existential meaning that doesn't come from the watch, that comes from the husband. The husband who gave the watch. So, Without that transcendent entity, we will never figure out the essential meaning. This is one of the reasons I believe there has to be a God. The second one is morality. Now there is this question people always ask. Can we be good without God? Can we be good without God? The answer is yes, yes. Most of the good people I've seen are atheists, to be honest with you. <laughs> They are good people, you know, most of them are. But here is the problem though. When you are a good person, a moral person, and if you don't believe in God, there is a logical quandary. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you an example. Suppose, hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking, Suppose there is a crime that I can commit and I'm guaranteed that it will never be found out. Suppose I can cheat you like $3 million, right? I can cheat you and nobody will figure that out. I can cheat that out, it's guaranteed. In a hypothetical scenario where I can commit a crime and I will never be caught. Will I do that? No, I will not do that. Will an atheist do that? Will my atheist friend do that? No, he will not do that. Why? Because he said, I'm a, I'm a moral person. I want to be a moral person. Good for you, very good for you. But here is the problem though. When you made that moral decision and you don't believe that nothing exists outside your material realm, realm you are actually becoming irrational. When you're trying to be moral, you're trying, you are actually becoming irrational. If from a materialist perspective, if you have a chance to cheat someone out of $3 million and you will not found out, you did not do that, no good for you. You're a moral person, but you're completely irrational. 
Because you, there is nothing outside, right? All these feelings, or all this conscience, what we have, is all a part of evolutionary instincts. It's a byproduct of evolution. It's some chemical reactions in your brain, right? Who cares? Who cares? You will never be caught, I'm telling you, but you should cheat that person. That's a rational thing to do. No, that is, a, that is an issue. And I'm not saying that you cannot be good without God, but when you act good, becoming good without God, you're also becoming irrational. So there's a mutually, the, 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 the morality and rationality most time can become mutually exclusive. When you become moral, you may not become rational. When you become rational, in this case, the rational thing to do is cheat, cheat that person. That's the rational thing to do. If you have a materialistic worldview, that I mean, right? Do you, do you get that? So this is the conundrum. Nobody has answered this question. Nobody can. The best thing they can say is that, well, you know, we are acting morally, not because of a divine authority, not because of what we call this conscience. It is all because of social conditioning. Social conditioning, society has told us to do, behave that way. That's why we are doing, doing it. Now, if that is the case, better don't tell anybody. Because keep that secret between us. If it is a social conditioning, if I know it, I will really enjoy the ride. I will, tell, or I will, I will teach the society to act moral, but I will not act myself moral because I know the secret. Right? Voltaire... Voltaire, who is the French, famous French atheist, he used to have a lot of parties in his house. He was, he was a devout atheist. But he always instructed his friends, never talk about God in front of his servants. Because the moment, if, if, the, if his servants know that there is no God, as they believe, then he is afraid of living with them. Because the, these, these servants have to believe in God for him to have a comfortable life because otherwise they can poison him. They can take his wealth away. So make sure that, that don't talk about the absence or your disapproval or, you know, of the existence of God in front of my, my servants. Because for me to be that way, everybody else should believe in God and I should keep the secret to myself. This is all social conditioning. There is nothing like that. Now, that is why Walter famously said this word, if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. That, that's a smart man. He didn't believe in God, but he is smart. If God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him without which the social fabric of the society will begin to unravel. There is only one way we can exist as social being. It is as if God exists, whether we believe in it or not. I will say that one more time. There is only one way we can exist in a society as moral beings. It is acting as if God exists, whether you believe it, in it or not. Because that's the way we are programmed. 
That's why John Locke, who created the, 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 the Western society in some way, social structure, was against atheism. You should never tolerate atheism. Edmund Burke said something like this. Atheism is against not only our reason, but our instincts. These are not theologians. These are not pastors preaching. These are, these are social engineers who created the Western society. They said you should never tolerate it because the moment we become moral being, we have to believe in God, whether we acknowledge it or not. Without the underpinning idea of a God, a transcendent entity, we can never be moral, otherwise we will become irrational, right? That was the idea. And even, it's funny, I was uh, going through, when Joanne was studying for her CPA, uh, you know, I, I, I was just going through her books, not that I, account, I, I understand any accounting. So they have, a, they have a book, they have an exam called CPA Ethics Exam. So, so there's a quote from CPA Ethics Exam, no Christians, by the way, <laughs> you know. So this is a quote, it says, even if you are not religious, you have to believe <laughs> that for your life to account for something, it has to represent more than the accumulation of material things or the transient value of improved quarterly reports. <laughs> you know, accountants can be boring, but they can be very, well, not all the accountants are boring. Some of them are very exciting. <laughs> one in particular, one in particular. But, <laughs> but, they, but, they are, but they are smart people, right? That's what, you know, I can't believe that this is what they teach CPA people. Like, you know, even though you are not religious, you better act as there is a transcendent because the moment you talk about values, you are entering a realm other than material realm. Because the values, there is no values with, if you can, there is no morals without values, but for us to think about values, we have to transcend the realm of, realm of matter, matter, right? So that's what, straight from the horse's mouth in some way. Now the third one, very quickly to finish. The third one is mystery, mystery. The wisest of the wisest, Solomon said this, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has also set eternity in their heart. A very profound statement. See, human beings are children of eternity. We have this innate curiosity of what's out there. Like I go back, going back to that little girl's question to her daddy. Daddy, daddy, why are we here for? Daddy, daddy, why is the sky blue? No cats or dogs ask these questions. No dogs or cats create JPL. We are paying our tax dollars to JPL so that they can explore the profound mysteries of the universe and Mars and all that. Well, we have issues like Skid Row too, but nobody thinks illogical because we want to be part of the journey. We want to know what's out there. Only human beings act this kind of irresponsible way. 
Who cares what's happening in Mar Mars? We have problems at Skid Row. Nobody will say that because we know the exploration of the mystery is something God has ingrained. It's programmed in us. We are obsessed with mystery. That's why we like suspense thrillers. You watch movie, if, you, if they tell you right in the beginning of the movie, no. You, you want the movie to keep you guessing, guessing. Why? You want to read a novel, we, we call it, it should be a page turner. We want to know why, why. Now that's the way God has created. Now that cannot be explained from a rationalistic perspective. There is something that is deep inside us God has programmed. Francis Collins, the famous genet you know, genetics uh, professor and the scientist said this, an inkling of what lies beyond, this is what God has programmed in, in us, an inkling of what lies beyond, a signpost that plays deep within the human spirit, pointing us towards something much grander than ourselves. And we are obsessed, we are haunted by these things. Rabindranath Tagore, who is actually one of the most famous philosophers and poets in India, who wrote the national anthem of India, said this. This faculty that God has programmed, this faculty is our luminous imagination, which is in its higher stage, is special to man. It offers us that vision of wholeness which for the biological necessity of physical revival is superfluous. Its purpose is to arouse in us the sense of perfection which is our true sense of immortality. Man, there is this luminous imagination God has put us inside, whether you believe in God or not, whether you acknowledge his existence or not, you are haunted by him. He has already trapped you. He has already trapped you with this inkling, like Francis called it, the inkling of what is beyond. That is why we look at this beauty of nature. You look at a sunrise or you look at a sunset and look at the starry, you know, look at the dancing planets above us. Or looking at the complexity of DNA, we wonder what's out there. You see mystery and you want to explore that. So the existence of God is not a problem to be solved. It is a mystery to be explored. I'll say that one more time. The existence of God is not a problem to be solved with our mind and the scientific rationale, but it is a mystery to be explored with our faculty of intuition and faith and prayer. Now that is why I believe in God. And I have this inherent quest for meaning in my life. I have this innate moral nature in me. And I have this insatiable craving for mystery. So I am the best proof for the existence of God. I am. 
I can look at myself and these three M's that is bothering me and that is what point me towards God. I'm going to ask us to stand for the reading of the word. <laughs> Don't worry, <laughs> sermon ended. <laughs> I intentionally did this because Sometimes when we talk about this kind of questions about the existence of God and some, most of the things we need to talk about in the quest series, we cannot go to the Bible, right? Because the people around us don't believe in the Bible. We say the Bible says there is, no, there is God, so it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. So some of these things, we should be able to maybe at least start expounding even without the Bible so that we can drive them to the Bible when you are in the process of becoming. So I'm, I'm trying to, in this series, trying to break down some of this complex philosophical questions through storytelling and, you know, maybe analogies and, and coming to the Bible instead of starting from the Bible. Bible says there is God, one, two, three, doesn't matter to anybody other than, you know, to us, right? So anyway, now let us kind of, we are going to exercise that third intuition, uh, that third M, mystery. Now, this is what the psalmist did. Psalms 19, 1 to 4, this is the scripture. This is the best proof for existence of God from the Bible, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.